0: Everybody, um, uh, John and Rick asked me if I would talk about the resurrection and, and, and um, uh, give a, a couple of classes on the resurrection. And it's interesting. Uh, when I first heard that, I thought, well, gee, that won't take long. I thought, the resurrection, okay, Jesus said he was going to die. The Old Testament said he was going to die. He died, he rose from the dead, and I get to partake in it. That's pretty much all there is. So that started with my limited understanding of the subject. So I started to dig into it knowing that I couldn't stretch that little bit into four classes. And as I started looking into it, I was somewhat stunned by what I found. And I just want to kind of walk through the process that I went through as, as I looked at this. And um, when I started looking and checking resources, the first thing that came up was uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28. And so I said, let's go to Matthew 28 and start reading it. So I did, and, and, and as I started to process it, um, Matthew 28.1, and I got a, a, a little a little heading there. It says, Jesus is risen. I thought that's a pretty good place to start. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake happened, for an angel of the Lord descended, and, and so forth, and, and it goes down, and, and he's not here. Well, where is he? Well, you know, why seek ye the dead among the living? So forth. But he goes down, and he gets down to Verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders in council together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and they did as had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, and as is to this day. Well, the first thing we find out, um, the Pharisees and, and the enemies of Jesus did everything they could to confuse the issue. They didn't want to deal with the issue. So, um, knowing who your enemy is, if your enemy uh, is doing this kind of thing, must be something there to, to, to dig into. So now, as we move down the story, here's where it got really interesting for me in um, in verse sixteen, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee into the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now, I got hung up there. I thought I started thinking about that and I, and I would just ask you you to think through this question. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, some, you can look at a lot of commentaries on this. And uh, some of them say that there was a lot of people there. And some of them say, it was just the eleven? I don't know. I know the New American Standard simply says, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had de- designated. And when they saw him... That's referring to me to the 11 disciples that were there. OK? There may have been other people there, but the, the point to be made is said they worshiped Him, but some were doubtful. So I'm asking, what is, what, what is there to doubt here? What, what, what could this? They can't doubt Jesus being raised from the dead, because he's standing right there in front of them. I, I'm looking at my friend John over here, and I don't have any doubt that he's sitting there because I can see him sitting there. So what is it that they're doubting? And um, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to dig into this. And I, I have um, uh, two Bibles by a man named Spiro Zodiades who has uh, written the, the um, Hebrew key, uh, the key study Bible in Hebrew uh, and um, uh, Greek, and they pick out main words and begin to study it. And he also wrote the Complete Word Study Bible, which is kind of a King James type version. And I I started digging into this, and lo and behold, some interesting things. Of all the words used for doubt in the New Testament, there are several Greek words, as it is with English. English doesn't necessarily convey uh, the, the difficult nuances of other languages very well. But I did find this, is that the word doubt that's used in Matthew 28, verse 17 is also used in Matthew 14.31. Now, the story in Matthew 14.31 is uh, Peter walking on the water for a little bit, and then he starts to sink, and Jesus said, uh, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? That's the same word that's used here, and it's only two times it's used in the New Testament. So, so that word has been used here, and it's also used in Matthew 28:17. So I started looking into it, and it's really interesting the the way they describe this. Now there's uh, there's a lot of information. I, I began to look up, and, and I found a, a PDF of that and printed it out. And it's 23 pages long, just talking about Greek definitions of the word doubt. And so this is not a, an easy word to deal with. But listen to what they said in Matthew 28:17 and Mark 14:31. It says. Two ways to doubt, waver, hesitate, be uncertain. It is a figurative word used, taken either from a person standing where two ways meet. So they're standing at a fork in the road and not knowing which to choose, inclining sometimes to one, sometimes to the other. Or from one, the quivering motion of a balance, which uh, when weighs on either side is approximately the same. So the balance goes this way for a while and it goes this way for a while as it's trying to settle up. And it says here they hesitated, and what the way he describes this word is, they hesitated in regard to their responsibility to preach the gospel to the world, knowing that Jesus in His resurrection body was no longer going to be on earth. Now I want to say that again because, like I said, this this gets interesting very quickly. They hesitated in regard to their responsibility to preach the gospel to the world knowing that Jesus in his resurrection body was no longer going to be on earth. And another way that that came up was to say, um, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, Jesus is here, I see this, I have to make a choice. Am I going to follow this guy? I saw him get killed. He said a lot of strange things. Do you remember when he said, uh, if you don't drink my blood and eat my body, you have no part in me and you kill this tear down this temple and I'll raise it in three days. He says a lot of other things and and one of the things that got Jesus in trouble is he he turns everything everybody believes upside down. It's just flat upside down. Uh, they're not taught what it is that he's doing. They're not taught uh, the things that Jesus is saying, uh, even though the Old Testament, speaks to this resurrection well they've got to deal with it now because he's already done it um, and it led to a lot of questions and I I'll just throw some of the questions out uh, that I ran into um, it led into the same there's two kinds of resurrection the two times of resurrections that we talk about in the New Testament and, but it's one word, and so I, when John asked me to talk about this, I said, Are "You talking about the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrection when everybody comes up?" And he says, "No, no, let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus." So we're talking about Christ dying and coming back to life. Now at that point, an interesting subject came up. Three, three elements, and I was, I was reading uh, Neil Anderson, a great book called The Daily Discipler. Uh, three things about the resurrection. Um, to overcome the effects of the fall, three issues had to be resolved. Sin had to be atoned for. Now you can see that in Romans three twenty three and 24. For the wages of sin is death, okay? Number two, it is not enough to be forgiven if we are still spiritually dead. Kind of what happened in the Old Testament. They covered their sins, but they they weren't eliminated, okay? You must cure the disease that killed the people, uh, which is sin. And you can see that in Romans 6.23. For all of, uh, have, um, uh, shoot, let me just call it out instead. I got a a lot of things in my mind here. Let me just call it out. These are very common, and it should not be a big deal to remember them, but sometimes they get confused Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus that's the gift of life Zoe that, that's a free gift from God now the third thing is the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil we can see that in 1 John 3.8 uh, it says the reason the son of man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil and if we go on and read in, in John chapter 17, we find out in John 17 that we're called to do the same thing He did. We were sent into the world to do the same thing He did. So, in order for these things to become real, and in order for, and, uh, as I started to, to look into this, uh, I go over to 1 Corinthians 15, and if you look at that real quick, that's got some really uh, basic scriptures in there. Um, as I started looking into this I'm thinking well Jesus' blood my wife and I do communion um, Father we thank you that your body was broken for the healing of our sins and your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and we do this in remembrance of that and we thank you for it and and, and we pray we do communion every day uh, and it's really had an impact on our lives if we don't do it it's you know we miss it but that's that's the thing that we say. We thank you that your body was broken for the healing of our bodies as in Isaiah 53, and that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, within that time frame, okay? Here's the question I ask. What good is your blood being shed for the forgiveness of our sins and your body being broken for the healing of our bodies? if you're dead so really the whole fulcrum and we will see this in first Corinthians. if Jesus isn't raised from the dead none of this other stuff matters uh, a lot of people died on the crosses two other guys went down the tubes with him when he got when he died but they didn't get up he did okay that's the fulcrum we want to look at and so if we go back and start digging into that what does that mean to me and what do the scriptures say and you go to 1 Corinthians 15, and you can look at um, three verses in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which is also you received in which you stand. Paul is telling, and this is, I, I, I never considered this before, although it's obvious. You know, everything Paul learned about the 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 resurrection and everything came from the Old Testament. It was already there. Jesus came to fulfill that. So, why didn't we get it? Okay, that, that that's a question. But now, we go on down and look at verse um, 13 and 14. Well, actually, we'll start at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He might be talking to the Sadducees or other people. So, we're preaching Christ crucified, and you're saying He's not raised from the dead. Go down to... Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witness against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So it's kind of a roundabout way to do it, but He says we're in trouble because we've been telling God's going to raise the guy from the dead and if he didn't do that we're lying about God and that's probably not a good situation to be in that's what Paul's telling us now look look down at verse 16 okay for if the dead are not raised not even Christ has been raised and verse 17 is the I believe the key to our faith and if Christ has not been raised your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins if he doesn't get raised from the dead Everything else is, is just wasted paper, okay. So when I started digging into this, and I realized something that seems obvious—that Jesus is raised from the dead—is important. But all of a sudden, it takes on a new meaning when you start looking at actually what the scriptures say about it. Um, let's look at uh, 1 John 5:12. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Okay, First John five chapter twelve. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. All of a sudden, Zoe, which is the life—I uh, heard one guy say—it's the life that makes God God. He gives us Zoe when we become uh, born again. Okay, and what he's saying is in verse twelve. If you have the Son, if you have Zoe, you have the life of God, okay? This is important. Now, look carefully at John chapter 11. Famous chapter in there about uh, Lazarus getting raised from the dead. Let's look at John chapter 11, and we'll go to verse 25 and 26. Martha's talking. Um Jesus said, verse 23, you, Your brother shall rise again. This is Lazarus. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? There's, there, there's a couple of oxymorons in there. Uh, okay, Think about this. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. That's kind of an oxymoron. That's a head-scratcher. How can I live if I die? Then you go on, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Hebrews says that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the resurrection. And we've got two guys that are floating around somewhere that have never died. Who might that be? Well, I'd say Elijah and Enoch. Uh, you know, Enoch walked with God and was no more. And uh, Elisha got taken out with a fiery chariot. Okay? Now, the thing that we're looking at here is the impact of this resurrection. What does that mean to our faith? It's the key point to the faith. And I want to look at some some interesting scriptures in here. Um, There are a number of scriptures... Uh, that talk about this, and, and we're in John. Let's go back to John eight, uh, chapter fifty or chapter eight, verse fifty-one. Truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. Okay. Um, now, go back and understand that a lot of the the things that Jesus is teaching everybody. Is, is turning on their head everything they've ever learned. He's just, he's just turning everything upside down. And um, if you go to Luke chapter 4 and you read when he stands out, and he says, give me the scroll of Isaiah. And he does that, and he reads, this, he reads from the Scriptures, and he hands it to the guy, and he goes and sits down in the Messiah's chair, and he says, those Scriptures that you're listening to are me. I'm the man. Okay. Well, think what that would have uh, I mean, nobody's ever done that before. What gives this guy the right to do that? And as he's and as, as he's going around and he's going through the area, people are getting healed, all kinds of things are happening. And the people that you've trusted religiously are telling you, "Well, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub and all of these other things." The people that you you know, and these Pharisees are against Jesus, but maybe they're good people. You know, maybe maybe they were members of the Rotary Club or whatever. I don't know, but but they they were people that people trusted. They were the leaders of the time, and they're saying this guy's nuts. This is this is not good. Well, you can read where Jesus was walking along and he, and he and he's teaching things, and some people say this man's from God, and other people say, well, how can he be from God? So there's a lot of controversy about him. Okay? Now, with that in mind, if we go back to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 17, it says they saw him, but some doubted. Okay? What they're beginning to doubt is should I cast my lot with this fellow? He's dead. He's we we know he's dead, and he's not going to be here. He said he's going back into heaven. What do I do after he goes back into heaven? Because at that time, they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. He just told them, uh, what was it he said? Wait in Jerusalem until power comes. And I think that, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's around 50 days here where they don't have a clue what's going to happen. Um, and so, when it says that they doubted, you can't doubt the resurrection. He's not. He, they're not doubting the resurrection because he's standing right before them. But what they're da- beginning to doubt is, do I cast my lot with him? And they're they're at a fork in the road. Do I go this way or do I go that way? Um, in the uh, when it comes time to dealing with totalitarian societies, uh, the the uh, Russians use this thing. It says. You've got freedom this way or sausage this way. Which way are people going to choose? Most people will choose sausage over freedom, okay? And so they're faced with a choice like this. This is a desperate choice. And I think if we, 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 we've got to try to jump in on these disciples' side. And even though, uh, and I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day. She's not a theologian, per se, but she's, she's one of the smartest cookies I know, a great teacher. And she was telling me, one of the things that you do in talking to me is you look at all these things through your Western eyes when it was written with Eastern eyes. And so uh, there are some uh, things about the culture uh, that enhance what they said and that I don't know about. All of that's true. But I do know that God had me born here in the United States. The United States is Western culture. God knows the West culture of the United States and he knows the Bible that I have here, and he knows that when John asked me that, that he would pique my interest and I'd start digging into this, and the only eyes I can possibly look at that are through my own eyes. So uh, when we start digging into this resurrection thing, we begin to see all, all kinds of evidence about it. Now, I want you to, uh, real quick, let me take you to... Hold on here just a second. Um what are some of the things that after the resurrection we had we just recently had a good friend die suddenly that we weren't counting on I mean it wasn't expected so what does the bible say after the resurrection what does it say is it's going to happen well let's just listen to some of the things and again Jesus is. Te- we we know these things from what Jesus has told us we're sitting there says he, he he's there but some doubted. Okay, so I'm I'm on the some doubted side here. Listen to the other things that they say. Um, the joys of the future life because of the resurrection status of a believer. Okay, the joys. Uh, there will be no sea, Revelations twenty one one. There'll be no sorrow, Revelations twenty one four. There'll be no crying, Revelations twenty one four. There'll be no pain, Revelations twenty one four. There'll be no curses, Revelations twenty two three. There'll be no night, Revelation 22.5. There'll be no death, Revelation 21.4. Now, that's what he says we've got to experience. Well, we've never been in an environment anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. And, uh, and I put a note down here and said these are beyond our comprehension as people. Okay? We, we, we've never lived in that. If you just read the news. Just read the things that are going on in the news about kids being shot and all these other things that are going on. So the promise of the resurrection, when we get resurrected, he's talking about living in an environment that has these things going for it. It says, Death will be conquered. Let me read Isaiah 25.8. It says, He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord will wipe tears away from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth for the lord has spoken 1 corinthians 15:26 the last enemy that will be abolished is death 1 corinthians 15:54 but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality then will come then then will come about the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory 2 timothy we read this one real quick. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, that's the guy that just showed up in Matthew 28, 11, or 28, 17, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what he accomplished. That's what his getting out of the grave and his walking out of death because it was impossible for death to hold him, this is part of what we have been given. These are the things that we've been promised. Now, um, we read in Revelation 21:4 where He will wipe away every tear from our eye. Now, all of those things are saying because all of, what what I the point that I'm trying to make is when my friend Steve died uh, a little over a week ago. And he died from COVID. When he died, he's born again. He's a tremendous man of God. I mean, no doubt about it. Um, he was a big Alabama fan and I I told my pastor, I said he's probably after he saw Jesus, he's probably looking for Bear Bryant up in heaven to talk about Alabama football. That's just the way it was. And um uh, I picked him up from the hospital and the last time I saw him I helped him into his house and I asked him, I said, Did you see the championship game between the dogs and the and Alabama? He could hardly talk, and he looked over and smiled at me. He says, "I wanted Alabama to win." Okay. Now, when he died, I miss him. I want him here, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him back if I could. If God says, "Well, if you want him back," I wouldn't call him back, because he's in a place where he's supposed to be. And where we are right now, uh, my my uh, one of our other best friends said this to him. Said. he will not come to us, but we will go to him. And that's what David said when his, when his little boy died uh, out of the union with Bathsheba. So the resurrection turns things upside down. That's the first thing I would say. It turns things upside down, and it presents to us things that we've never heard that we've never experienced before. Now there's a number of people that were, that were raised from the dead. Um, we can see that, and, and uh, we'll certainly have a chance to talk about those particular instances uh, later. Um, and uh, certainly, of all the, the people raised from the dead, Lazarus is the most famous, I believe, in the New Testament. There's, there were other people. Uh, I would send you to Mark chapter 5 to read about Jairus and his daughter. Uh, She was raised, and she was 12 years old. And um, there's a lot of things about this that just turn things on their head. So um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I want to turn there as one of our last scriptures. And I want want you to, this is critical, and I think it's very important when we're dealing with the... um, You can tell when you're having a Bible study if you tell somebody to turn to Second Corinthians and you look and they're in the book of Chronicles that they may not, you know, they may not have everything down. Second Corinthians five seven says, "We walk by faith and not by sight." Okay, we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, that means that we have a, a belief in things that we can't see. We walk in an area where, where God said it and and gave us notice um, in Hebrews. Close with this in Hebrews 11:1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And then in verse six it says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now catch that catch that last verse there. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Okay, I'll leave you with Jesus'... In Mark chapter 1, Jesus uh, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and in verse 12, or actually in verse 11, a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus Christ operated in faith Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it means he took steps because of his belief that God told him to do it, but he didn't know what the end result was going to be. He just believed what God said. That's what we're looking at at the resurrection. We don't know what it is, but we believe it's going to be okay because God said it, and so we trust Him. And um, I believe it was John Wesley, just before he died, I think his last words were something like, the best is yet to come or something along that line. So I'm going to close with prayer, and next time we get together, we'll we'll continue. Father, we thank You so much for this time. We thank You for the resurrection and what You've done for us. We ask You, Father, that we can dig into it. We ask You to open our eyes and hearts to hear more from You. We thank You for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time. tribulado pela ação de Satanás, clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás,